walked in, they gave every girl a gift card. And when they left, they gave every girl a cosmetic bag and us a cosmetic bag. And y'all, I got Clinique eyeshadow and eyeliner. And I'll go ahead and tell you, my clearance self ain't ever bought those things. And so, like, they treated those girls like royalty. They got to come in the back door. Once they came in the back door, Miss Pat and Miss uh, Pat Horn and Donna Meacham and my mom were sitting there. Hey, y'all want a water? Y'all want some snacks? And to say all that, after we shopped at five stores, every time we walked by that snack table, I got a water and a snack because <laughs> I was hungry. Um, so it was really beautiful. So that is a ministry they do every year. They almost doubled numbers to get it to this year. Um, so I can only imagine where it's going to grow next year. And several of those girls do get to come every year in middle school. And so there were several of them who said, you know, I bought summer stuff last year. This year I need to buy some winter clothes. Um, so it's really teaching them so much, and it's beautiful for our community. So thank you for being a part of that ministry. Sorry, I probably shared a little bit too long. Um, but we will stand, and we're going to begin worship. I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we'll sing together. So if you'll stand for prayer this morning. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much just for allowing us to come into your house this morning, God. Lord, thank you that Glenlock is a church that doesn't just have love abounds wrote on the wall, God, but that truly acted out, Lord, from um, financially given to ministries like Starting in Style or um, to ministers going to ranches out west or countries like Nicaragua, God. Lord, thank you for the generosity of this church. Lord, thank you for the prayer warriors in this church because I know that we had a handful of ladies serving yesterday but God I bet there were so many more in this church praying yesterday God and I know that all the ministry work we do is um, greatly covered in prayer so thank you for that God and just thank you for our members of our church and the love that they bestow on everyone God we thank you for bringing us here to worship this morning and to sing and open our eyes to new things. And we just pray that you have your way throughout this service. May your spirit be known. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Holy, 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 open the eyes of my 
morning. Say hello to Chase Marshall. Uh, welcome to Glenlock Baptist Church. We are going to begin our service uh, with the baptism, which is always a blessing. So let me give you a little history behind Chase. So Chase lives down in Camden County in a town called St. Mary's. But for context, he is Elaine Marshall's grandson and Matt and Carrie Ann Marshall's son. So back in 2008, which is many moons ago, his older sister, uh, Cheyenne, was in our area for the summer. And she went to Rootville Roads Bible School and made a decision to accept Christ as her Savior. She was baptized here at Glenlock uh, back in 2008 as her family gathered and all of us gathered to celebrate that. So I think it's very interesting and providential that this summer, while Chase, her younger brother, is also going to Rubel Road Bible School, hearing the gospel, having his eyes opened by the grace of Christ, uh, Chase also made a decision to accept Christ as his Savior. And when they talked about where he was going to be baptized, he chose us. He chose Glenlock Baptist Church. So let's celebrate this morning. Chase's baptism. I may have mentioned already, he's 12 years old. He's a bright young man, and he's got, a, he's got a bright future. So, Chase, we are very happy and honored that you chose to be baptized here uh, to make a public profession of faith in Christ, as we talked about when I put you under and bring you up. Uh, that identifies you with Jesus, who died for you, and he rose from the dead for you. And by his grace, he has saved you. And all of us celebrate that together. The water reminds us of the Holy Spirit which has come into your life and will never leave and he will guide you as he has opened your eyes and your heart to believe and put faith in Christ. So why don't we pray. Father, thank you again for uh, already the song we sang, how you, you open our eyes to see the good news of the gospel. Lord, we, we are grateful for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We're grateful for baptism, an ordinance you've given to us as a gift uh, to communicate the gospel and to profess our faith and to remind us that Jesus himself was baptized uh, by John the Baptist, but also Jesus underwent the baptism of death uh, and the glory of the resurrection. So re we reenact today uh, the salvation event on our behalf, the cross the resurrection, and Lord, we anticipate the future glory. May all go well with this baptism. We celebrate with, with Matt and Carrie Ann and Miss Elaine and all the family and friends who've come to, to witness this and be a part of this, Lord. We, we celebrate that together. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chase, upon your profession of faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior and in obedience to his command, it is now my joy and our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Well, good morning. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I was with a big group yesterday because of Mama June Maxwell. Many of you know her and what a terrific um, ongoing that was, funeral as we call them. And uh, there was one line that stuck with me that is not part of the service, but what a blessing. And uh, Pastor David McCracken at Oak Grove had a beautiful line. He said, Mama June was well loved. Amen. Everybody that knows her, Mama June was well loved because she loved well. And I think that's our slogan at this church too, isn't it? What if a wonderful time that was for half of Carroll County and some of her to come to Mama June's funeral. What a great day that was. A great day today. I, I love you all. Um, thank you for being my family. Thank you for adopting me. And uh, I've told Miss Judy and Miss Al, I want to adopt Neil too, by the way. What a what a wonderful pastor we have. Um, I don't know that I can afford him with five boys, though. That's, that might get out of my, out of my range. So today's uh, call to worship is from Luke 23, 44 through 46. And it was about the sixth hour, that's midday, and some of you read Max Licato, and he has a wonderful title. I love titles of books. And it's called Six Hours, One Friday. Isn't that a great title? Six Hours, One Friday. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So three hours of darkness. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in the mist the curtain of the temple was torn in the middle. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the spirit. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for... Um, being in this place today. Thank you for this baptism of Chase that we've seen. Thank you for our good pastor and Catherine and Bryson. Um, and we love you. We pray that you would uh, fill our hearts with the Spirit of God and touch us exactly where we need to be touched today. In Christ's name. If you'll stand, we're going to worship together again. We're going to sing, You Are My All in All. 
with glorify thy name.
seated. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. Okay, as the children leave, we will turn to Isaiah chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Week 2 in our series in Isaiah. Um, as I mentioned last week, it will be helpful if you would read along because there are 66 chapters. I'm not going to preach 66 sermons in the book of Isaiah. But this week we are in chapter 2, but what I was getting to is there are Isaiah reading guides on the counter in the Welcome Center. Grab one of those. You can see how many weeks we're going to be in Isaiah, the passages that we are reading and preaching, and that will help us all along the way. Today in chapter 2, Isaiah is going to again introduce himself shortly, quickly. I think this new section kind of ends the orientation that we had last week, not only to the book, but to all of life. Last week in chapter 1, we had a bit of an introduction that reminded us that God is sovereign, man is rebellious, sin has consequences, worship demands purity, and repentance is necessary. Those were the big truths, the big themes that we gathered from chapter 1 as a way of orienting us into this book. And as a way of ori- orienting us, reorienting us, if you need to put it in that form, uh, in, into life itself. So orientation is over. Now let's begin to get into the particulars of the message. As I said last week, I am preaching someone else's sermon. And I do not apologize for that because Isaiah, God's prophet, is speaking truth. He is speaking the words of God, and our challenge and our call is to read the Word, submit to the Word, and adjust our lives accordingly in how we think and how we live and how we operate. So let's get into the text. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. The Word, he says, the Word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. And I've always felt like that was a very interesting way of putting it. He saw the Word. He saw a vision. God revealed to Isaiah, his spokesman, what he wanted to communicate. So this morning what we're going to say is, okay, Isaiah, what's the Word? I mean, what do you have for us? Here we are, 2023, and there you were centuries before Christ came. What was the Word then And what does it say now? So he saw this word, this vision, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And then this is what he says, beginning in verse 2. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And will be raised above the hills and all the nations... And look at this perspective. All the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. 
For the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And, get this, they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. What a vision. Verse 5 is a bit of a transition where Isaiah says, Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For thou, being God, hast abandoned thy people, the house of Jacob, because... That's a strange statement in verse 6. God basically releases them into their own resources because, as we saw last week, continually they've rebelled, continually they've rejected. God says, okay, you want life on your own? You want life apart from God? He releases them into the consequences of rebellion against God. So where in verses 1 through 4 you have this hopeful word, this begins a, a warning, a word of warning. Because, here are the reasons, they are filled with influences from the east. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. They strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land has also been filled with horses. And there's no end to their chariots. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands. That which their fingers have made. So, the common man has been humbled and the man of importance has been abased. But do not forgive them. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. The proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased, and it will come, and it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft. And at this point, we might be tempted to say, "Enough already." We see that he's against, against, against. Ten times that word is used. What is God for? What is God for? Let's let that question linger until the end. Verse 17 is a repeated verse. The pride of man will be humbled. The loftiness of men will be abased. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols will completely vanish. Men will go into caves of the rocks, holes of the ground, before the terror of the Lord and before the splendor of His majesty. When He arises to make the earth tremble, in that day men will cast away to the moles and the bats. 
the rats and the bats. That is gross. But it's reality. They're idols of silver, they're idols of gold, which they have made for themselves to worship. In order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the hills before the terror, there it is again, the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He arises to make the earth tremble. Stop regarding man. Stop it, He is saying. Whose breath of life is in His nostrils. Why should He be esteemed? Father, we humble ourselves before your word because we know that it is your word. And to your word, we should give reverence and trust and respect and humble ourselves before it. Thank you for what this word speaks. Thank you what the whole book of Isaiah speaks and the good news that he speaks about, that we know about, that is the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the joy of a Savior. Thank you for giving us the truth so that we may believe and so that we may receive the gift of grace, not in pride, but rather in humility like a child. Thank you, Father, for the gift of faith as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, there is a lot here, but I will say this is the Word of God. And it is my call and my task today to communicate the Word to you and for us to draw from the Word the encouragement that it is and has and also the the warnings that it is and has. In this passage, we have both the the tenderness of God and we also have the, the terrifying nature of God. We... We don't get the, we're not at liberty to, to choose one or the other, for he is the same God. And so Isaiah chapter 2 begins with the word. So let's pause and ask ourselves just for a moment what kind of reverence and what kind of place do we give to God's word? Because I think throughout this, there are things that, hey, I. I like that part, that part about peace and heaven and war. Man, I love that. But that second half you read, I'm not so sure about that. But the reality is we can't get to to the beauty and the majesty of heaven until we understand the necessity of the judgment. We must humble ourselves under God's word, not stand over it in pride and arrogance saying, well, this, this I will accept, and, and this I won't accept. I'll submit my life here, but I won't submit my life there. Isaiah speaks the word of God. So I spent a good bit of time riding around in my truck. I spent a good bit of time waiting around in my truck on various activities. And my grandfather, who was a Baptist minister years ago when I began preaching, gave me this little brown Gideon's Bible. And sometimes I'll just, hey, I need a word of encouragement. I'll see what's in Granddad's little Gideon's Bible. And I remember when he gave it to me, I said, Granddad, I've got, I've got a lot of Bibles and books. He says, you need this, don't you? And I said, yes, sir, I need it. I, you know, I, I need this. 
And so I've got at the beginning, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm weird like this. Presented to Neil Albee by, by Granddad Hewlett. Why? Because you need it, don't you? <laughs> and so then I begin to read the intro. Now, the copyright on this thing is 1968. That's before I was born. I thought, well, that's interesting. And then there's a little intro to the New Testament that the Gideons have put together and that they put all over the world, in the hands of people who need it, hotel rooms and so forth. You've heard of the Gideons. This is what it says. I thought this was really good and really clarifying to the role you and I must give the Word in our lives. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored. And that's Isaiah 2. Heaven is opened and the gates of hell are closed. Christ is its grand subject, our good the design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, read it frequently, read it prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life. It will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. I said, wow. (laughs) That pretty much sums it up. If you need a copy of that, I can get it. But basically it says to me, when we come to the book of Isaiah, we best listen. Because here we have reality. Here we have truth. So what is the word? Let me get to the sermon after a lengthy intro. I want to organize what Isaiah does in chapter 2 in three ways. First, we have a word of hope. Then we have a word of warning, and then we have a word of instruction. Okay? So in verses 1 through 4, we have a word of hope. And isn't it good that every now and then the Bible, and Isaiah does a tremendous job of this, of every so often giving you and I where we are going. Because life is difficult, and the daily grind is a struggle. And every now and then, I need somebody to come into my life who has authority and who has grace, who will say to me, this is your destiny. This is where you're going. And so there are several points, several stopping points in the, in the book of Isaiah that describe what we will call the peaceable kingdom. They are places along the way that we will stop that are like an oasis or a rest area along the journey. They are in my notes, but in chapter 11, chapter 64, chapter 65, and chapter 66, we have this wonderful, glorious visions of our future. 
And you and I, in order to instill and empower our lives with hope, have to keep in mind the peaceable kingdom that God in His grace has promised and purchased and guaranteed to us. Do you know your destiny? Do you know where you're going? This is a place of beauty. It's a place of peace. It's a place of worship. It's a place of unity and love. I mean, people have taken their spears and their swords and they've smashed them and they've made gardening implements out of them, things that will grow food for people. Ultimately, I think this is pointing to the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's no more death. There's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more war. I could go on and on. But Jesus has gone to prepare for us a place. And every day, you need to read a word about it. You need to envision it. And you need to soak this up. C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never, never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Isaiah in chapter 2 and throughout this, hey, I hear something in the distance. I hear something in the future, and it is the glorious vision and hope for the kingdom. Someone sent me a story this week about Billy Graham and a story he told about the physicist Albert Einstein. And Billy Graham told this near the end of his life, and he assured people that he knew where he was going. So the story about Einstein goes like this. He's on board a train. He's left Princeton and he's going somewhere and the conductor's walking up and down the aisles of the train checking people's tickets. So he comes to Albert Einstein and Einstein can't find his ticket. He's, he's reaching into his coat pocket. He's checking his briefcase. He's looking behind the seat. Einstein can't find his ticket anywhere. So the conductor says, well, Professor Einstein, <laughs> we know who you are. It's fine if you don't find your ticket. And the conductor moved on. Well, when the conductor comes back to where Einstein is sitting, Einstein is now on his hands and knees in the floor. <laughs> and he's still searching around for the ticket. So the conductor says, Mr. Einstein, I told you, we know who you are. Everything's fine. Quit looking for the ticket. And Einstein looks up and he says, I know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> This is where we're going. This is where we're going. All of us who are in Christ are going there. I don't know what your situation has been today, this morning, this week, this month, this year, whatever. But here is your destiny in Christ. And we've got to keep coming back to it over and over. This will empower the hope that we need to press on. This is a word of hope from the authoritative word of God that is a glorious vision of the future. I must move on. Second, there's a warning a rather lengthy warning that I think begins in verse 5. What do we do with this lengthy section on judgment? 
I've titled this, A Certain Judgment on the Proud. This next word from the Lord that Isaiah speaks on behalf of the Lord is a certain judgment on the proud. As I mentioned at the beginning of this, God has left left his people to their own resources. He's withdrawn his special attention and favor. But that has a divine purpose. And then in verse 6, you begin all these because. You know, because, 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 right? And in verses 5 through 11, there's this present judgment on the proud. And, And I think what we have in verses 5 through 11 are ways in which the arrogant who did not see the need for God and did not see the need to obey God, trust God, or engage in what God had called them to be as a light to the nations, they're filled with influence from godless people. They're being influenced by soothsayers from the Philistines. And there is no pretty way to describe the worship and influence of the Philistines. It is rated R, I assure you, in the... Rituals and practices of their worship. Bargains with the children of foreigners. Hey, look, they're filled with silver and gold. They're filled with horses and chariots. They worship the work of their hands. They are so full of themselves and their accomplishments and their devices and their gadgets that they have no room for God and see no need for God because their teeth and their hopes have, have, have sunken into so deeply the world that they do not fear, reverence, worship God appropriately. And so God says, okay, if that's what you like, then here you go. Here are the consequences to rebellion. Some of this we looked at last week. But we need not stand in judgment over these people. Because what if they could see us today? How our land has been filled how our lives have been filled, how our world has been filled with so much more, so much more than they could have imagined. You know, when I saw this line about horses, all apologies here, okay? And with all apologies to Tom T. Hall, but I could not help but think, okay, and I'm going to give it to you anyway. This is the, you remember the song by Tom T. Hall that described what we have and who we are and what we want? Hey, faster horses, younger women, older whiskey, and more money. Remember that one? I love Tom T. Hall. Great songs, great music. But does that not describe our mentality so consumed by all that this world has, so filled with the abundance of what we have that we do not hunger and thirst for God. So because of that, he gives this warning. If you're proud and you don't need God and you don't need the church or his word or prayer or any of the things of God, then get this warning into your skull. The proud look of man will be abased, the loftiness of man will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For, in verse 12, there's a very important connection here. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning. So he describes a situation that was currently going on, but then he jumps to the future judgment and what will happen And that's where we got all those repetitious against, 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 against. 
And the simple truth of the Bible is that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This whole passage cries out for childlike lowliness and brokenness and dependency and humility. Hey, against everyone who's proud and lofty, against everyone who's lifted up, man, how would you like to line up opposite of God every day and every place? No man, no woman is a match for Almighty God. These are ways that the arrogant had demonstrated their superiority. Ways that the arrogant had demonstrated that they didn't need God. Ways that the proud had thumbed their nose at God and mocked God and said, we will be our own gods. This is our life. Leave us alone. Let us have our way. God says, okay, there will be a time in which you are left to your own devices, but just know this, that in that day there is going to be a warning to come and a judgment to come. All the lofty mountains, all the hills that are lifted up against every high tower, every fortified wall. Listen to the ships of Tarshish, the the beautiful craft. And there's again in verse 17, the pride of man humbled. Loftiness of man abased. The Lord alone exalted and worshipped and honored as supreme in that day. Idols vanish. Men go into caves, holes in the ground from the terror of the Lord. I've said it a thousand times. There is no refuge from him. There is only refuge in him. And the good news is that there is refuge in him. We're going to get to that great good news later. The splendor of his majesty. His holiness is so intense He cannot look upon evil and sin with favor. And this is the day when it all works out, when it all comes down. Men cast away to the moles and the bats. The idols of silver and their idols of gold vanish. Things that we were worshiping besides God, instead of God. Hey, we've gone from in chapter 2, look at this. In in verses 1 through 4, we've gone from there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow... Okay, from a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, if you're familiar with that, to Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. We've gone from one extreme to the other. A vision of glory and hope and beauty and peace and judgment and terror that would send every person headed for the hills. So what are we to do? The third word I see here is kind of hidden in a couple of verses. Not hidden, but like, I mean, if you read it too fast, I guess it might be hidden. But if you were to say, so what? So what are we to do? You want us to accept this as authoritative and as reality and as what's going to happen? And you've given us this beautiful heaven and you've given this awful judgment? Like, what are we to do? So I want to show you a couple of things. There's guidance here that is a practical application for the present. What do we do? Well, this is what we do. Look at verse 5, just for a moment. Remember when God said last week, come, let's reason together. You're not being reasonable. Though your sins are crimson and scarlet, they'll be white as snow. 
Sounds like a reasonable, gracious God, doesn't it? Look at verse 5. Isaiah is saying, come. Again, there's this great invitation. God has an invitation open. And he says, come, house of Jacob, let's walk in the light of the Lord. Light is available. Light is there. And one of the applications, one of the things that you and I and Isaiah was calling his people to was calling to reconciliation with the Lord and a relationship with the Lord and walking in his light, which would lead to, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, hey, humility, holiness, hunger, worship, brokenness, repentance. What do we do? We need to walk with Him. We need to walk in the light. The second thing we need to do, first in verse 5, He tells us to come. And then in, in verse 22, which is the other place of particular application, He tells us to stop. This is like that game red light, green light. Red light, green light. Do, do I go or do I stop? Do, do I come or do I stop? Well, in reality, you do both. We come and walk in the light of the Lord. But then we need to stop something. And here's where I want to land. We need to stop regarding man. Man is a one-breath being. God is not a one-breath being. Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils. Why should he be esteemed? See, here was the temptation. Rather than trust God, they were looking to people. Idolizing people, trusting people, looking to other armies, making deals and manipulations with other people. Rather than trust God, you know what you and I are prone to do? We're prone to consider the thoughts and opinions of humanity and other people rather than God's. So we set God aside and what we do is we esteem man and we live for man's approval Man's opinion, we idolize celebrities, and then we destroy them because they are not gods. We idolize people, we fear people, we hate people, we're intimidated by people, we start intimidating people. Our relationship to people is all messed up because we put people where only God deserves to be. So let's get a perspective on people real quick before we close. The proper respect for people. What does God call us to do for people? To love them, to serve them, to honor them, to minister to them, to be humble before them. But we've got to stop regarding man above God before we can pull all that off in a healthy, correct way. So what are we? All right, let's everybody time out. Just breathe in and out for a minute. Ah, isn't that refreshing just to breathe? You know what Isaiah is saying in verse 22? We're all just a breath. And we're all dependent on breathing to stay alive. We're all one breath away. We breathe so subconsciously that we don't even think about it, but go into the hospital and struggle to breathe, you'll start thinking about it. We're so dependent. In the book of Genesis, it says, 
that God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living being. What a wonderful creation we are made in his image. But totally dependent upon him. And so every person you and I know breathes the same way, has the same value, has the same dependency, has the same lifespan, just a breath. We breathe in and we breathe out. We're limited, we're fallen, we're frail, we're fragile, we're created. On the other hand, God is not a one-breath being. He is eternal. He is self-existent. But let us see and hear what God has done. So, okay, so if we stop regarding man and start regarding God, and if we attempt then to walk in the light of His Word, what we will discover from the book of Isaiah is good news. Good news. See, I may have referred to this last week, but in the book of Isaiah, I hear, I hear a slow train coming. All right? Bear with me here just a moment. One evening this past week, I was in Franklin, and I thought I heard a train. Now, Benji knows why that's funny. There are no trains in Franklin. In fact, I'm not sure there's any tracks in all of Heard County anymore. I'm not sure. Somebody could, you know, let's get a physicist to go down there and see if there's still one over at the power plant. But in the book of Isaiah, in reality, we hear something coming. And it's good news of a Savior. With whom we can walk in the light. And to whom we can give all of our esteem and all of our regard. And that person is Jesus. Not too long after this, and there are passages after passages of the suffering servant of the Messiah. Here's, here's what's coming in Isaiah. So when you read Isaiah 1 or you read Isaiah 2, you've got to know where Isaiah is going to grasp the whole message. Or you might lose your hope. And you might not know where to run for judgment. Or in judgment for salvation. Look at Isaiah 9 6. What a promise this coming. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah tells us, hey, there's heaven and there's judgment, but you need to run to the Savior. A child is going to be born. A Savior is going to be given. And guess what? Did Howard read the text I told him to read? Does anybody remember? Did you read the text you're supposed to read, Howard? Good, good job, Howard. The phrase came into my mind that it says of Jesus, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, that he breathed his last. He breathed his last. He died. 
the God who is the eternal God who does not need to breathe became man. He was born. And he became for us a one breath being. And he died for you and me. He gave up his breath. And as he gave up his breath, he said what? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I surrender. We have someone who took upon himself the judgment that Isaiah describes. He took upon himself the terror and the consuming fire of the wrath of God that my sin deserved. My pastor used to say this all the time. In judgment coming, the only safe place to run is where the fire has already burned. God's judgment has been poured out upon himself, his son on Calvary, out of love, so that you and I might be forgiven and saved and set free to walk in the light of the Lord. Don't lose the good news of what's coming in the Savior because He is the sufficient solution. God came down and breathed His last. Then after He was raised from the dead, He breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Because now what we're thinking about is not just His death, where He breathed His last, but His resurrection, where He breathes on us the very Spirit of God, which empowers us and transforms us to be humble rather than proud, to be broken rather than strong, and to be joyful rather than despairing. Oh, what do we do? We come and we run to Jesus. In Jesus, you have both the tenderness of our God in his sacrificial death, and you have the terror of our God in the fact that the wrath of God was poured out on the Lamb of God who was given on our behalf. And that empowers us then to live with hope and with peace and with love and with faith and all that God would give us. Don't forget that in the book of Isaiah, oh, we, have a, we have a slow train coming. And I'm going to end with a song because it was on my mind all week. Hey, Curtis Mayfield is a man who grew up in the church, in the African-American church. He heard a lot of good preaching. And in 1965, he put a lot of that good preaching into a simple song that some of us may be familiar with. He says, people get ready. There's a train a-coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. As we go through the prophet Isaiah, hey, we're not in Franklin. There's a real train coming, okay? And I love what he does in his book because he gives us hope for the glorious future. He's also honest about sin, wickedness, pride, and evil. He says judgment is coming. But the refrains along the way are of a Messiah, a Savior, who loves us so much that by His stripes we are healed. And all we need to do is by faith 
get on board. And that train is open to all nations, all people, all generations. Hey, what's the word, Isaiah? What's the word? He tells us. There's hope. There's warning. But there's application. And his application is, in humility, like a child, get with God's program. Get with the program. Father, thank you this morning for your word. It's honesty, it's beauty, it's encouragement. Oh, Lord, there's so much here. And uh, we just pray that from this, all of, all, would rec- all of us would recognize our own need, our own dependency for salvation, for forgiveness, for help and transformation, and see that your grace is sufficient. What a wonderful God you are. Thank you, thank you for becoming for us, like us, becoming a one-breath being so that we might become eternal beings with you. Now we will sing more about you. We pray that we would adjust our lives accordingly and with faith like a child continue to trust in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing. Here it is, I surrender all. That's the response. You come as we sing. Friends.
Amen. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, church, uh, for a wonderful morning. A couple of things I'd like to do in closing. I want to invite Chase and his family, whoever wants to come, uh, to stand with him as we present to him this morning uh, a Bible and a certificate of baptism. We're so proud of you and so grateful to have your family, especially your grandmother. She's a wonderful, wonderful servant here and a blessing and a friend to me. Um, one thing I want to let you know, so uh, Chuck and Trish Liston are here this morning and, and Callie as well. Uh, you may see a tent in the cemetery. We are going to immediately after the service have a graveside service for Miss Rebecca Hawkins. Now, it's been nearly two years or more since she passed, but today will be a closure day uh, to actually put her ashes into the ground. So let's be in prayer for Trish and Miss Rebecca's family. When I think about her, I think of grace and wisdom and love and kindness and everything that God calls us to be. So I asked Trish if any of you want to stop by there and be a part of that or witness that, uh, you're welcome to come, okay? So somebody asked me as, as they were coming in this morning, who died? Well, actually, it's a little different situation here, and uh, we just want to pay final respects and honor Miss um, Rebecca's life one more time. So thank you, Trish, for giving us that opportunity here at Glenlock. Then the other thing... So I'd like for us to be praying for our area churches, especially our area Methodist churches. A lot of the area Methodist churches have some very important and high-pressure and uh, momentous decisions before them. And let's pray for God's will to be done. Uh, this is going on throughout the South with many of the Methodist churches here. And um, you know, Michelle mentioned in particular First Methodist Carrollton. We both know people there we have friends we love and care about there and all I'm saying is let's let's go to God in prayer on their behalf for God's will and and his way to be done let's continue to love and support and encourage uh, other denominations other believers who are part of the church there's only one church only one church and that's the church of Jesus Christ that is the people of God who are uh, connected to Jesus by faith in him and so we want to lift up and encourage. Thank you, Michelle, for bringing that to our attention. We will certainly be in prayer. Is there anything else I forgot? Um, three people in particular, Richard Smith, Harry Barber, and uh, Mr. Herbert Giles across the road. Let's pray for those three men. They are, they are going through uh, some difficult times right now, and, and they're grateful for the prayers and the ministry of this church. So. I've said enough. Catherine, would you lead our benediction? Afterwards, hey, come by. The whole reason they're standing here is so that you can come by and celebrate with Chase and his family his baptism. And Chris Abner, missionary, brother in Christ, who baptized his dad here the last time he was here. It's good to see you back, brother. I like your beard. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I could pull that off, but I'm glad you can. So, All right, Chris, wonderful to have you here. He and his wife, Rebecca, are missionaries, so... Um, it's good to have them at home. Catherine, would you close us out, please? Choir will practice at 5 today because we'll have communion next week. If you've never sang in the choir, it's a perfect time to join. Um, so we hope to see several of y'all here at 5. 
Earlier, I'm really sorry, I forgot to mention a couple names and I feel bad about it. Emily Grissett served in TJ Maxx yesterday and she got a whole team of friends out there to help her, which was awesome. And Miss Lynette Dotson also served at Ross. Um, and of course, Miss Gina Kingston coordinated that whole snack um, production and was a godmother yesterday, a fairy godmother. So um, just wanted to mention those women because I forgot. Let's sing Family of God together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. You have a great week.